Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with your hosts Hattie Butterworth and me Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of the musicians is lost and restricted. Having both dealt in silence with mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. No topic will be out of bounds as we are committed to raising awareness for all varieties of struggle and hope to do so with some fantastic guests along the way. So join me, Hattie and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about. Hi Hattie, it's Hi. us, me and Hattie. It's us. How are you? <laughs> I'm really good. I'm really good. Um, yeah, I kind of said that, and I was like, "Is that true?" And I'm not sure. I feel yeah. like I'm not. I feel like it's that time of year where you're like, not really sure. You might be in a in the role of just doing stuff and not really being in touch with your emotions brilliantly well. That's kind of how I feel a little bit at the moment. Yeah. Like, do you feel Christmassy? It's a really weird one because it's like, I feel like I could have felt Christmassy, but I've tried to hold it off a little bit because I'm always that person that gets Christmassy too soon and then ruins it for myself. So like trying to hold it off a little bit, <laughs> try to keep autumn going as long as possible. And, but I, I, I am feeling Christmassy. Like we've got snow forecast for tonight. So <gasps> that's all we've got in Scotland. That's not anywhere else. <laughs> Um, how nice. How are you? I'm fine. I feel like, yeah, just being pulled in all different directions at the moment, which is oh. nice because there's lots of things going on. But I think it's this thing of like being a freelancer, and sometimes I find that it's hard to feel like I'm working hard enough because I'm working hard on lots of little things and cumulatively like it feels like very hard work but actually doesn't always feel like I'm working really hard on one thing mm. if you know what I mean I do. so yeah I'm always like should I be working harder or yeah so I'm preparing for sort of auditions at the moment and in my brain I'm like I should be working hard I should be you know doing a whole regime of yeah is that like a superstition stuff. thing or is it like something you've learned from like if I don't do this much preparation then I'm definitely gonna fail or yeah I haven't done that many professional auditions so I don't know what my like my pattern is mm. yet I guess also living with three other musicians it's very easy to compare your audition prep to their audition prep and it's easy to know like in my head that my life isn't comparable to their lives like I do a lot of teaching, they do a lot more practice, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's harder to feel that as a reality. So. so anyway, so we wanted to say a massive thank you to everyone who supported our Musicians Injury Awareness Week, which was on from the 15th of November for the week. Uh, the response was just so beautiful. And we were actually in London together, which was really sweet. And yeah, just really, it felt so nice to 
to do something tangible. How did you feel it went, Rebecca? Yeah, no, it was good. I, yeah, felt like we had lots of nice responses and because it's always that thing, especially when you're planning something for the first time or, you know, doing something like things musicians don't talk about, where actually we have no idea what we're doing really most of the time. Mm. Um, especially then planning something in real life. It's nice to get some feedback of, and yeah, usually doing a podcast, you just put stuff out and then you don't really see the reaction. So it was nice to have, as you say, something tangible to work with. And nice to see you, even though Aww. it was really cold. It was, it was, that was actually very festive week, to be fair. I felt very festive that week. You were doing Christmas shopping. I was doing Christmas everything. Yeah. <laughs> I was honestly, I had no days just to be on my own. And I got back here and I was just like, shit. I've had no, you know, I've had no time. It's been literally so manic and so fun, but wow, I'm tired now, you know. Well, when you're next in London, you can have your own place and then you can chill. This is it. This is the plan. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> this is the plan. Coming up. Um, I think with projects like that, it's the sort of thing you just learn so much from doing. And I feel I learned so much about like what to expect in terms of, you know, our own time and like the amount we put into it and what we get out of it. And, and also the fact that people don't consume it all in that one week like hopefully people will come across it and and things you know it just even though it's a it's a weekly awareness thing a week awareness it's like the point of it is to start something that has longevity so what would you if there is anything that you would change for next time what would it be um oh my gosh I really don't know do you have an answer while I think about one I would just, I'd love to do more live stuff. Yeah. And it'd be nice because obviously with COVID restrictions still in place, it'd be nice to have like a public audience for some of the things. Um, Because it was a shame that even Mm. though we did some live interviews, we couldn't, um, we couldn't have like public people, public people, public citizens. That's it, isn't it? Like, and also maybe doing something as part of, another festival or event or something to or like a workshop or something as well yeah but do you want to talk a bit about the the random sticker blow up (laughs) what do you mean random stickers (laughs) what do you mean random blow up the stickers you bought for yourself that ended up being (laughs) yeah i bought 75 stickers that said what would you do wear and I don't really know what I thought I was going to do with 75 stickers <laughs> maybe subconsciously <laughs> I was like yeah I'll be selling these but then I put them on Instagram and was like would anybody buy these if I sold them and everyone was like yes or no I think we had two people were like no <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to uh, thank you for your honesty um so yeah we've almost run out of them I mean I'll probably order more if people keep ordering them but yeah so they were inspired by a certain article uh that uh was written by a certain music journalist quote unquote journalist You're so specific and yeah <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble but I kind of do <laughs> 
Um, and um, he was um, criticizing Yuja's concert uh, choice of choice of clothes to wear on stage for a concert. And you know she is known for her dress sense, uh, but yes, yeah, so there was not only this focus on what she wears, but there was also quotes like. Um, She's got a sell-by date to consider. You know, she's 34. There's only so much makeovers and gym workouts can do this sort of stuff. So, yeah, the whole article was pretty inflammatory. And, yeah, it, it seemed like it was on purpose, the language he was using, just to get clicks and whatever journalists are searching for. I don't believe that's an excuse. Yeah, so we put out a response. I did some random scribblings all over the article and then put it out there and people seem to agree. And I think that there's always a danger of when posting responses or reactions to things that you're posting into like an echo chamber mm. and you don't want to censor people's free speech. But particularly in this instance, I mean, he's a pretty successful journalist who continues to use this sort of language, yet nothing has been done about it. So it feels like a response was necessary. Mm-hmm. So I that's a rather large rant. It was great, no, because I think what we realised through you doing that and, and you talking about it on our platform is that actually it goes beyond just this one article, you know, the impact he's had. And we don't know what, whether we can maybe share in the future more about people's experiences with how they've been treated but it's very clear that it does go beyond just you just dress sense being criticized you know like it's not only his articles I mean it's the whole website as a whole is kind of rife with racism sexism all these kind of things and yeah I imagine I think he said that the readership was two to three million. Yeah, I understand that it would be hard to sort of monitor all the comments and stuff that go on. But in not which impossible. case, I think you need... Yeah, not impossible. Other websites do it. And if if it's such a problem on your website, then you obviously need to get someone on board to monitor it or stop using such inflammatory language in your own articles, which people then assume is okay or like creates an environment in which people assume it's okay to comment the things that they do on the articles so yeah and I think this is something we're going to continue talking about you know not not the article necessarily but the issue of um dress code and artists and orchestras that are moving away from that and obviously we've spoken to Ellie Consta from her ensemble about that and I think Laura van der Hayden also touched on it when we talked to her but you know, we want it to become a bigger part of what we do. So if you want to support the campaign, buy a sticker, links in the bio. <laughs> links probably on yeah. the podcast notes as well. Um, yeah, no, yes. it definitely will be. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing this morning, this morning being the 1st of December. Thank you for sharing about your um experience or the just the the clear fact that you are someone that takes antidepressants um as am i so if people don't realize there's been a bit of a campaign going around which um i know can 
be a bit of an eye roll for some people because it's like not another one of these. Um, but this is. If, but if it's important. But if it's important, then the question of whether or not to take medication is so down to who you think does and what the look is of the people that do and what the capabilities are of the people that do. So thank you for sharing that, Rebecca. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I, the thing is, I have posted about it before, mm. so it doesn't feel that scary until you kind of post it and you go okay and it's always that that moment where you think oh should I have done that like you said before like is there a danger of oversharing etc but no I'd be interested in in hearing about your experience with medication if you're comfortable in talking about it like when did you start yeah so um I started on a drug called venlafaxine it's called and it's actually an snri um if you're interested in the difference between ssri and snri it's a slightly different one it does something with noradrenaline i think which uh, is interesting and dopamine so <laughs> basically what it means is that it's um i take it for anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder and intrusive thoughts so it's very powerful at like not necessarily like removing the thoughts, but removing the kind of dive and spiraling that my mind used to do, I suppose. So it feels like I'm being uplifted by it, definitely. Um, but the one thing I do kind of have from it is it does have quite a lot of side effects. It doesn't tend to be, um, because people, not many people have heard of it, is because it doesn't tend to be uh, prescribed unless you're gonna take it for a long time my doctor said this to me she was like sounds like you've been struggling for ages I feel like you should be on something that you're gonna have to be on for a while to feel quite secure and by a while I'm talking about over a few years you know more than two years I mean it didn't have to be but I was at a state where I really felt like gosh like I need something that's definitely gonna gonna work have a shot at working so um yeah, I I started it, had very, very bad side effects at the start, but now the side effects are kind of limited to like having really bad dry mouth all the time, which is still a thing I have. Also get very um up and down actually. I get quite bad fatigue, which I've never been great with the mornings, but like especially um in some periods of time, I can get very bad fatigue. And another side effect, which is very common with my type of antidepressant and might sound like a reason to stop taking it sorry if I'm going on too long um no it's great um another side effect of it is increased thoughts around self-harm um which is something I have only actually had on this medication and I feel like it's not something that people ever talk about your psychiatric medication having and like a negative mental effect because I'd never, I'd had so many low points, but I'd never used self-harm as a way of coping until I'd been on my medication. But it's like, my medication has so many benefits. Like I don't have the terrible intrusive thoughts anymore. I don't have this, I don't have this, but I do have this terrible thing that I have to manage every day. Um, and to me, I found ways of managing it and it does feel worth that, worth that because I do know how to, deal with those urges and things now but like definitely is hasn't been easy it definitely has felt like a big risk taking it and it did when I started taking it, it was like shit this is risky this feels like am I going to be one of those psycho people forever 
but it's it's mm. got me to a place where like, I can deal with all my massive phobias, massive OCD problems, and yeah, I I am a massive advocate for it. If you feel at a place where you want to try something like that, yeah, it's interesting because actually you do re- you read the side effect leaflets with any sort of medication like this, and the list is so long. Mm. I feel like a lot of medication stigma is around this fact of yeah not not necessarily that it's lazy from the doctor's side but that it is like lazy from the person that's taking it like they're not they'd rather just take the medication and not do the work on themselves or something like that I don't know for me personally if I'm okay or if I've weighed up the pros and cons of taking this drug and I have read all the side effects and I'm still like, yes, my life is going to be significantly significantly improved by taking this. Then it's not me being lazy. That's me taking a pretty serious decision, um, which is going to benefit my life. Yeah, I often find that with the antidepressants, like it's quite a common side effect is that element of increased in increased risk of self-harm or suicidal thoughts and this kind of stuff, which, yeah, is always such a oxymoron almost one doctor described it to me as like it kind of gives you that ability to do things in life a bit more and I don't know because sometimes I've felt maybe too depressed to go about my daily things or whatever and actually having the antidepressant is great for making me feel like I can get out of bed or whatever but then that also means that you're more likely to get up and harm yourself for instance if you're in that particular mm. uh circumstance um you're more likely to take action whether it's negative or positive but yeah so how long have you been on it now did you say uh nearly 18 months so it was the start wow. of july 2020 so a bit less than that mm-hmm. but what about you how long has it been for you i've been off and on floxteen for I'm gonna say like six years yeah it was interesting because when I went I was at boarding school and I went to the doctors and said that I was feeling like this oh no it would have been maybe yeah about six years maybe off and on for maybe closer to 10 years actually yeah and I went to the doctors and they prescribed me this and at the time again it was like well you can either wait for therapy on the NHS or you can take this drug I don't know that was quite I guess because I wasn't that old I must have been about 16 17 I didn't really know any different I guess but looking back that's quite shocking that even in the county of Somerset you know I wasn't in London at this point even in Somerset I would have had to have waited a year minimum for therapy on the NHS mm. um and it felt yeah not like a lazy action on behalf of the doctor but just like the only option that exactly. they had yeah which is just like wow I mean I did end up having some counseling at school but yeah and actually yeah over the past however many years it's been I've just been like off and on it and I always get to a point where I'm like I'm fine now I'm just going to stop taking it and because of um, living in London you don't necessarily see the same doctor all the time so you Mm -hmm. don't have like checkups like mental health checkups in the same way so I 
never really like once I was prescribed floxetine again say it was another another round of it like I wouldn't see that doctor again which is so nuts people are just being prescribed these things and not being checked up on however I do feel that it's sort of essential to my daily life so Mm. I'm not saying that it's a bad thing that I'm still on it it's just I would and yeah I, I don't not advocate beyond it but I just wish there was more provision for people to be checked up on and the thing is I know that if I made an appointment with the doctor they'd be like how are you feeling with another doctor that you've never met before then you have to explain everything all over again and you kind of feel like it's not worth it because you've only got 10 minutes or something so do you feel like it's something you want to continue taking for a while now yeah I feel like especially the past well no up until probably this round of um meds I feel like my my mental goal has always been to not be on them that is definitely part of just the stigma around medication that Mm -hmm. it's you know it's not good to be on medication so you must get off them as soon as you can but every time I've done that I've ended up having to get back on them yeah I don't I don't know at what point I would consider making an appointment to ask to stop or whether I even would because mm. I've stopped it so many times in the past and I would I would know how to like gradient it until I wasn't taking it anymore I guess but yeah I don't know I don't know when I'll feel like the time is right but I'm gonna assume that the default for now is being on them rather than the default should be being off them for me mm. like it's something you have to do in order to stay well sort of thing yeah, exactly. In the same way that some people have to go to Pilates to feel like themselves or go and see their grandma or whatever, mm. you know, <laughs> like for me, so I couldn't think of anything. Um, but yeah, for me, in my life as it is now, the medication is an essential part of my self-care. Yeah. Um, and I'm OK with and actually campaigns like the hashtag post your pill and all this kind of stuff really help because you often take your medication at home you don't see people taking their medication so you just have no idea who is on things not that it should matter but it it does you can feel awfully alone in it and I felt like that when I read about you taking yours because I actually didn't know any musicians that were on it believe it or not I mean I don't know when this was maybe in February or something you first posted about it or maybe yeah, maybe. And I, I remember thinking, wow, like, she got to be one of the first that I actually know about. Like, we've talked about this so many times before, but the image of, like, the tortured artist and all these, like, artists having their ups and downs and depression and all this kind of stuff. Like, people are, you know, even people that listen to Classic FM are willing to, you know, accept this image as, like, oh, yeah, no list or whoever you know was really depressed and then but that's what made them a true artist and it's like but yet we're not allowed to take medication to help with that Mm. is that not okay you're supposed to you're supposed to compose music to cope with that oh yes sorry I forgot where's your like mystical nocturne yeah where's my symphony Rebecca Toll in B flat (laughs) I don't think people (laughs) usually call their work just their name (laughs) and then in a key that's because in ch- in church music, you call a like a like a mass setting 
this is really really going beyond but you see you call it like Stanford in C or like that's um, true Howls in G and it's toll in well I think if if I had a a masterpiece from my mental illness it probably wouldn't be church music (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no me neither to be fair it's gonna be it's gonna be rap it's gonna be some He went to the Opera House shop, gift shop. Yep. I'll tell the story if you want. Go for it, baby. So on my festive week, <laughs> um, on the Friday of the festive week, I went to I went shopping with my piano trio. Shout out, Sophie and Sovin. Um, we went to we went literally everywhere. We started in Dishoom in Covent Garden. <sighs> Delish. It was so nice. And then we went to Muji. We went to white company someone was like let's go see the christmas lights and i was like i need a wee can i go to the opera house for a wee please (laughs) (laughs) and she was like yeah okay so we went to the opera house and then they decided they were gagging for a cup of tea so that's not really relevant we had a cup of tea it was very expensive it is relevant (laughs) had some nice vegan pear cake oh wait pancake or pear cake pear cake pear pear and almond or something yeah, it was nice. They got a lovely new like cafe. It's probably not new. Oh, yeah, it's new to me. Um, and then they also have this beautiful shop, which is like down a ramp from the cafe. And literally, mm-hmm. I walked into the shop, and the first thing I saw was this postcard. And also, I think it has a there's a couple of prints of it in the Opera House shop as well, and a couple of other bits of merchandise with it. And there's this basically this quote from the ballerina Margot Fontaine. Who lived from 1919 to 1991 for a bit of context and the quote did says, you google that it's literally at the bottom of the quote all oh, right i just <laughs> didn't know, know you're such a fan just general knowledge <laughs> um, anyway the quote says ballet is more than a profession it's a way of life and instead of just moving on shopping, and i was like i'm gonna say this to rebecca Tall. <laughs> not just any Rebecca I know she's gonna have something to say so when I sent that to you and you read it what was your first sort of reaction to that I can't remember what I feel like I put it much more succinctly in my text than what I'm about to say I think I said a positive and a negative I think I tried to go for like a feedback sandwich but with only (laughs) one positive well like do you want me to read it out oh yeah go on then This is Rebecca's reply to the photo. Whilst I agree that professions in the arts can alter the way you see the world and can feel philosophically all-consuming, I think that calling it a way of life encourages a belief that one has to sacrifice aspects of life, such as well-being, relationships and other activities outside of that profession. A way of life harkens to religious or cult ideology, which again encompasses a life of complete obsession and imbalance. These are my thoughts. What about you? And I was like, oh, it's almost as though I, <laughs> as if I knew it was going to be read out on a podcast. I never takes like that. That's so intense. I'm so sorry. It's brilliant. I was like here for it. I was like, ah, ah. Well, I don't know if I, I'm going to read out what I said. I'm just reminding myself what I said. Yeah, I suppose I made the, because it says ballet, first and foremost, it says ballet, I'll read it again. Ballet is more than a profession. It's a way of life. I was kind of thinking, ah, so if you were struggling with being a bit different, you know, say you were as a ballerina, slightly bigger, 
very talented, but slightly bigger than everyone else, you might think, well, if this is meant to be a way of life, surely I'm meant to sacrifice everything in my life for this art. You know, surely that must mean mm. then, Margot Fontaine saying it, that I can't have other interests. I can't have a well-rounded life. I can't advocate for my mental well-being, as you say, because I have to sacrifice everything for this. It's my life. It's my whole way of life. I, I kind of liked it when I was younger, but I always remember watching on BBC Young Musician, they do those little documentaries. And their favourite fucking thing for people to say was, I have to sacrifice so much music. I have, you know, my friends go out on the weekend and I just have to stay in and practice because I'm so obsessed with playing the trumpet or whatever. Or, you know, when I go shopping, I go yeah. to the music shop and look at scores because I don't want to do normal shopping. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I completely advocate being different, but it definitely, it puts this pressure well, from the offset, it's like, well, you're only a good musician then if you practice all the time or you don't socialise or you don't do all these things. Especially on such a platform such as the BBC, where even non-musicians occasionally tune in to young musician or people that are younger tune in to sort of get inspiration. And that's the message they're hearing mm-hmm. is that they have to sacrifice things in order to be successful. They love to ask on yeah. those little documentaries, like, how many hours a day? I can just tell, like, how many hours a day do you practice? Like, how much do you have to sacrifice for this? They kind of love that. It's like a kind of documentary thing. It's like, let's make this look super dramatic. Let's make it look as if these kids are like ultra prodigies because that's all they do. Mm-hmm. And like, they have no life outside of this. I think it felt particularly relevant because it was, was it our injury week? Yeah, mm. that you were you must have been because you're in London. And yeah, it felt particularly relevant because it's like, well, what happens if, say, you're a ballerina and you get injured and then suddenly your life is, your whole life is gone? Mm-hmm. Or it kind of promotes this idea of, well, once you're in it, you can't get out of it. And then, you know, if something happens that's beyond your control, then it's not just your identity that's gone, it's your whole life. There's no point in... I don't know, going on because you can't do ballet or can't do music anymore. There's a sign in one of the schools I teach at and it's a quote. I don't know whether it's a quote from someone or just a quote that they made up. Um, But it was like, all the world's a stage, but all the players have proper jobs now. And then under it, it said, um, is there a place for the arts in modern society? And I couldn't tell if it was like advocating for the arts as quote unquote proper jobs but it seemed really backhanded and actually that yeah it was just gonna just encourage this this image of proper jobs as being separate from like jobs being proper or jobs being not proper and this kind of and it was just really weird and you know I see it every week and I just want to tear it down that's so weird like I was I was thinking am I stupid that I don't quite understand what that means yeah I don't understand it either. That's so weird. And it it looks like it's been put up by the drama department or something. And it's like, Uh, well, you shot yourself in the foot there. You're not going to get any jobs, guys. Yeah, no proper jobs here. No proper jobs here. But how do you feel like with your life as a trumpeter? And especially doing the auditions you're doing at the moment. Does it feel like a way a way of life 
you know are you bordering on that <sighs> is it tempting I guess I <laughs> no not really I think <laughs> anybody that I've come across that trumpet or you know music or whatever is the only thing in their life that they hold above everything else or you know it's a way of life for them they don't seem that happy and I guess I've been lucky to come across a couple of those people but also I I don't think I ever had a propensity to to yeah be on the verge of it becoming a way of life for me I think I always I mean it's not necessarily a good thing but I always spread myself too thin over too many things to be too obsessive in one area um and yeah that's been not great in lots of circumstances but now like yeah I'm preparing for these auditions at the moment but I'm also teaching three days a week and you know do my counseling course and all this kind of stuff and as much you know even at a time like this where I kind of want to make it a way of life you know to an extent I can't really because there are other things that I'm committed to every week if if I had every single day in the week free and I just spent every day practicing or playing or just getting into a trumpet sort of hole I think that would be pretty bad for my mental health Mm -hmm. and I think it'd be very easy to shut myself away from the world and not do things to look after myself yeah I don't know what do you feel about cello as a way of life (laughs) get that on my t-shirt for you oh my that's the thing isn't it there's all these tea like t-shirts and I think I might have you love them though no but I feel like I might have had a sticker when I was about 14 that said something like cello is my life cello is life eat sleep cello repeat or something like that that yeah Stuart has a t-shirt with eat sleep tuba repeat on it to be fair he's a legend he can he can wear that with pride yeah it depends how much of your life eating and sleeping takes up because I mean that's true doesn't leave much room for cello in my life so it's fine um (laughs) I feel like unlike you maybe I hmm so my teenage years were very obsessive cello life. I feel like you haven't known a lot of my old friends, older, old, going back a long way friends, know me as like... <laughs> former friends. Former, yeah, former friend. no. Uh, know me as like the obsessive little cello girl who was so mm. annoying. <laughs> I was so nerdy. So embarrassing. I had weird obsessions with like, weird cello things um I I don't know it was partly because I came to it late and I just really liked it and it was one of those things that I felt really saved me from like my mental illness because it was at that point wasn't diagnosed I didn't know what it was I didn't know how to deal with it so the way I dealt dealt with it was like put all my purpose and a whole life into the cello and then when I had to like you know Lots of breakdowns and shit. Um, along with that, the cello kind of broke down uh, as well. And because I couldn't practice it anymore, but that was just, like, it just felt awful. Like, I had that injury and then I had all this mental health stuff and it was like, it's, I, I know what my life's purpose is, but I can't do it at the moment because I, I'm so ill, you know? 
Mm. Um, so as soon as I kind of recovered from my mental illness, that was the moment that I could really heal the like, do I really want cello to be my whole life? Like, is that really healthy? So I really did until maybe third year. It was as what it felt like. It was like, you know, we're ill and then we're better and then we practice five hours a day and then we're ill again and then we're better. And, <laughs> and I wonder why I'm ill. <laughs> and, I'm exactly, and it was like, and then we're better and then we do this competition and then we fail and then we feel shit and then we hate ourselves and then we get ill again. <laughs> I wonder... I wonder whether your pattern, I mean, it's probably a no-brainer, but it sounds to me like your OCD plays a big part in how you view the cello. And for Mm -hmm. me, I mostly have depression and my depression mostly manifests itself in avoiding things or like hiding away Mm -hmm. and actually avoiding the trumpet or avoiding things I've got to do. And yeah, it just seems interesting that naturally we follow the patterns of our mental health as well in relation to our instruments that's really that is so true I don't know do you ever find it's 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 always the it's always the thing I mean, I'm going to sound maybe a bit nerdy now but going back to Marco Fontaine <laughs> I feel like the making it a way of life kind of takes away from like the beauty it can really have I don't know because quite often It'll be the last thing I want to do. It's not my way of life that day at all. My way of life is wanting to getting be through the somewhere day. else, getting through the day, yeah. yeah. And I pick up my cello and it's like, oh, wow. My gosh, I feel like renewed for, from that. That's really awesome that I know that I can find this renewal sense from it now. And I think if it's the only thing you do, it's like, how would you ever feel renewed by it? You know, if it was your way of life, how could it ever have a an impact like it has for me at the moment anyway where it's like I'm not making much sense I'm trying to I'm trying to put my thoughts together. no no I do understand okay I think I don't know it's kind of contradictory but calling it a way of life for me sounds like it uh omits other people from the equation even though mm-hmm. way of life like like in my text I said you know it kind of harkens to cult or religious ideology which is you know by its very nature kind of communal I don't know with the way of life the kind of self-sacrificing artist it makes it very isolated and so much of the joy that I've found from playing trumpet has been from the communal aspect or the ensemble aspect or the teaching aspect and this kind of stuff and actually often the most difficult times have been when I've just been practicing by myself or preparing for a solo thing basically just not a big fan of this postcard no and it's just the thing of like who are they wanting to buy this and I'm imagining you know an eight-year-old girl who's come to the opera house for the first time with her mom from her little ballet school in county durham I don't know why I'm going all Billy Elliot lovely yeah (laughs) I'm picking it up and thinking that's what I want I want to be like Margot Fontaine I want it to be my whole life and if I have other interests then that can't be in line with it you know it also just doesn't leave any room for like I said about injury but it doesn't leave any room for failure like and I'm going to interrupt this broadcast with our first 
ever advert. Aren't you guys lucky? We're now officially pro. This week we wanted to give a shout out to one of our favourite podcasts, Where's My Freaking Dressing Room, with Alex Simpson and Helen Daniels. Aside from being absolutely hilarious, and me wanting to be friends with them, and also according to H. Butterworth, their episodes quote-unquote actually slap, they tackle difficult topics like rejection, injury and illness, crises of confidence, and recently I listened to Managing Your Christmas Diary, which obviously hit home hard. Um, They discuss things like saying no to work, which is, as we all know, really, really hard and you never know what to do and always feels like a massive deal. Um, They also discuss taking rest days and the peaks and troughs of the Christmas season and the old empty January dilemma. Um, And if it isn't enough that they're great and clever and interesting and funny, they also sung me some Christmas carols in between segments or maybe that was for everyone. I don't know. Please, please, please go and take a listen to them if you have time in between listening to us. Uh, You can find them on Acast, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can find out more about them via their website, wheresmyfreakingdressingroom.com or through Facebook and Instagram uh, at dressingroompod and Twitter is dressingroompo1. We think they're great. We think you'll think they're great. We'll think you'll think that we'll think they're great. Basically, they're great. So yeah, please go and listen to them. So yeah, that's all for the advert section. Let's go find Hattie. When you were in your obsessive, and you said, you know, you do some cello competitions and stuff, and you you maybe not get so far in them as you wanted. How did that feel like in relation to cello being your whole life awful (laughs) um I mean the kind of biggest ones that I have talked about before I think I talked about them on the episode with Jasmine but I just never forget being rejected from NYO like that's just the one that sticks with me because I didn't get over it for weeks like and I mean crying a lot like a lot of crying and a lot of like sad sad foray on my own (laughs) but it was also this kind of artist thing where I was like oh this happens to great people too I just have to work even harder you know quite often those the kind of depth I was in this obsession is like the downfall only means you should work harder and it's only going to push me further and further and further towards another breakdown (laughs) yeah that's a quote for a tote bag it is it's gonna push me further towards another breakdown Um, (laughs) but um like what would the few days so you said lots of foray by yourself what would the few days after like a quote-unquote failure look like for you at that time just denial 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 it sounds really strange but I would quite often like lie to people not that I hadn't got in but like that I hadn't heard you know and that I I hadn't heard that I didn't really care or that I didn't I refused the place or something like that you know which sounds it's just really upsetting to look back on that I actually lied but when something is that much your identity you can't come to terms with the fact that it's like your dream isn't the reality and I remember me getting into NYO like I was peak obsessed at that point and to be fair, I did actually have a teacher that was telling me, you're going to get in, you're going to get, like, she really bigged it up. And I'd worked so hard. Like, I've never worked on excerpts harder. 
can still play that Elgar one excerpt. <laughs> <laughs> that was hard. No, but like I'd really, it was a massive part of of my life, like preparing for that audition and the thought of going on tour with them and all this. And but it is that thing at like at that age when you're auditioning for NYO or NCO or any of those sort of youth things. At that point, you probably haven't done many music auditions mm. and that will be one of your first experiences of failure. Yet so many of your music friends have also auditioned for the same thing. Like even people that aren't, I don't know, be doing like an orchestral audition now, but everybody auditioning for all the places on all the instruments and all the people <laughs> your age group and quite a few people you know getting in like that's awful that's really and they re-audition every year it's not like an orchestral job which comes up once in a blue moon it's like every year the auditions come up it's so sad yeah and you're expected to just keep applying and well that's the thing I did I that's the thing and I was so traumatized by the failure that I didn't reapply because I just didn't want to get told that again that's how devastating it was you know and actually going for orchestral auditions really freaked me out because of that as well uh, orchestral yeah yes but I meant conservatory yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I auditioned for NYO maybe three times four times and I got in on the last one for a year I'd already come to like dread the audition mm-hmm. and I, I would only do it because all my friends and like they had a minibus from school you know going to the audition centre because so many people would like audition yeah I just did it because everyone else was doing it but if I hadn't been in a music school I don't think I would have kept going yeah it's just like a routine audition rather than a choice it's five to six this is it I actually do have a theory student at six well (laughs) best let you go then making facial expressions you love teaching I do I do um I'm pointing out circles of fifths in some queen songs which is quite fun oh yeah that's pretty cool that was pretty interesting did you know killer queen has some circle of fifths in there no i didn't now i do pretty much baroque is there anything you want to say to wrap up oh yeah sorry asking and then buttoning (laughs) thank you for everyone that has been interested in writing a blog Mm. i have think i've got back to everyone now but it's not too late if you do want to write a blog, send me a message with a bit of a pitch, just a few sentences about what you'd like to write about. And then I'll send you a document that Rebecca put together. Um, nice. But yeah, be cool. that's Barley coughing. <gasps> Barley. <laughs> she's down you. Oh, baby. She's been sitting so patiently. So quiet. She's so quiet. She's so old. Be nice chatting. Even though it's like an interview-based podcast, it's nice to just chat. I feel like we do a lot of discussion alone and also over text and also yeah. through Instagram separately, I suppose. Um, so it's really nice to like... To get it on record. It almost feels like a weekly roundup. Yeah, we should do a weekly roundup. A weekly round- news roundup. All the beefy news. This week on our news. <laughs> Rebecca, you need to tell us about your trip to France. Bonjour. <laughs> I hope you get into the Paris Opera. I, uh, it's yeah, just so weird doing an audition abroad. Like I have no idea who knows who, or like what sound they're looking for, or 
if there are specific teachers whose students are going for it, like all the politics I would usually be aware of in a British audition. I It's kind of scary not knowing it all, but it's also kind of liberating. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm looking forward to you should audio even some forgets. Audio vlog. You should. You'd be like, I'm, I'm on the Eurostar, currently feeling ill or whatever. Why am I feeling ill? I'm like, I don't know, nervous. I feel ill. Oh, nervous. I see. You've been listening to Rebecca and Hattie of Things Musicians Don't Talk About. Thank you so much. Please follow us on Instagram at TMDTA Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at TMDTA Podcast. Our website is thingsmusiciansdonttalkabout.com and probably other things I've forgotten, but for now, that's, that's where you'll find us. Uh, also send us an email. My email is hattiebutterworth at hotmail.co.uk and there's also a form on the website. So thank you so much and have a wonderful Christmas. Christmas.